Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 6. For those of you who've been here, I've been preaching through the book of Romans verse by verse. We made it through the end of chapter 7. Lord willing, we'll pick up chapter 8 next year. I wanted to do um, a few different thematic um, sections. And the next six sermons are on the, the theme of living without. This morning, I want us to think about living without the life we wanted. And when we stop to think about it, I suppose many here would say, yeah, I didn't really get the life I dreamed about. I've got a life, but it's not the life I wanted. Let me read for us Psalm 6, verses 1 through 10. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Don't chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. And my soul is greatly dismayed, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindnesses. For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? I'm weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Now, as you read this psalm, I think you... you become aware that David is not living the life he wanted. We all go through uh, times in life where people, obviously in this passage, people are disappointing him. People disappoint us. Situations disappoint us. Illnesses disappoint us, especially if they're tragic. And these people and situations and illnesses, especially the tragic ones, they, they tend to restrict our life into something we didn't really want. And if it's a tragic accident, it may have caused a disability. And like it or not, this is now our new normal. This is the life that we must live. It's not the life we wanted, but it's, it's the life that's obviously been designed for us somehow. And how do we learn to live the life we didn't really want and even turn it into a life that we really love? I mean, I didn't ever dream about being a preacher. It was never on the radar. I mean, I dreamed about being a golfer or a basketball star or a fireman. I went to college to be a businessman. Preaching was not on the radar. And yet God did certain things in my life that turned me to being a pastor. And now I love it. But how, does, how, do you, how do you make that turn? How do you make that switch from not getting what you wanted and learning to live and love what has been designed for you? Um, we all perhaps want different things. How do we learn to love the life 
we never wanted. When you look at Psalm 6, look at David's life. Think about it for a minute. I mean, I can imagine David growing up. You know the story of, of David before he became king. He probably dreamed about being a great farmer and would have been a good one. Or maybe a great shepherd. Or maybe a great musician. He was already good at all of those things. And it seemed it fit his disposition. And why didn't he just grow up to be a great shepherd or farmer or a musician? Yet certain things changed his life. And now he's in a life where he's king over a nation. And he's fighting enemies constantly. And he shares some of that story here with us. Let me just kind of see, see the trouble he has here, verse 2, he says, God, I want you to be gracious because I'm pining. I'm, I'm wasting away. I'm dismayed. Just look at the, the negative words here. Verse 3, I'm greatly dismayed. Um, verse 4, rescue me. Rescue my soul. He feels trapped and he needs rescue. Verse 5, he says, I feel like I'm about to die. I'm going down to the grave. Verse 6, I'm weary with with sighing. He, he's one of these people. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, my bed's swimming with tears. I'm crying all the time. And I'm wasting away. And I've got enemies that just don't seem to quit. He's obviously not living the life he wants. And he's pouring out his heart to God as a result. Um, and I hope you can see that's kind of the solution, and we'll see that over and over, that when you're living the life you never wanted, learn to pour your heart out to God. Learn to pray to Him. Learn to cry out until you get reason, until you get understanding for the life God has given you, until you get to the place where you really literally begin to love the life God has given you. First thing we see here is one request after another. Um, the first four verses. Lord, don't rebuke me as I request it. Don't chasten me. Be gracious to me. Um, uh, come and, and, and help me. How long will you wait? Return, verse 4. Rescue me. One request after another. I don't know about you, but when I was taught to pray, I was told, don't ever pray like this. You don't, I mean, that's just selfish. Don't keep going to God and just ask, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's not how you should pray. Okay? I was taught the Acts formula. If you struggle with prayer, it's a good formula. I don't have anything against it. Acts, an acronym, A-C-T-S, for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And it's a great uh, tool to... Keep your prayers from being stale. Keep your prayers from being the same old, same old. So if you are struggling with prayer, I, I recommend it highly. Start your prayer by saying, what can I start my prayer with? And it's just adoration. It's adoring God for who He is, for His character. Let me start my prayer with adoration. And then let me move to the understanding of who I am. I'm a sinner. So I confess. So you adore God. You confess your sin. There's confession. Great way to start prayer. 
Third, thanksgiving. Thankful to God that he sent his son to be our redeemer, to deal with our sin and make us more like him. And then you get to supplication. Requests. So if you've got, after doing adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, if you've got time left, then ask God for something. That's a good model for prayer. It's not necessarily a biblical model, but it's a good model, okay? The biblical model's right here. Give me, give me, give me, give me. It's the way David started. Now, you have examples of starting with adoration and praise. It starts to show you there's really no true model. The, the model is pour out your heart. And when your heart is, is full of pray, praise, praise him, adore him. When you need to confess, pour out your heart about your sins. When you need to thank him, do so. When you need to make requests, if that's what's most on your heart, do so. And that's what you see David doing here. He's, he's, he's just skipping adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. And he's moving straight to supplication. God, this is not what I wanted to wake up to today. This is not the life I wanted. I need help. I need rescue. I need mercy. I need grace. Take your heart to God. By the way, uh, we're not in Romans yet, but uh, let me just take you over to Romans 8, verse 26. Um, Remember this about prayer. I know a lot of people struggle with prayer and love to help you out here. This, this helped me immensely. Romans 8, 26, it says, In the same way also, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to God. What the Spirit does is the Spirit listens to our prayers. He says, you don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray, as we should. So the Spirit listens to our prayers, and He does more than that. He doesn't just listen to our words, but He searches our heart. So are you pouring out your heart to God when you pray? Because the Spirit is searching your heart to see what you really mean. You're saying words. He gets that. And he knows every language. So he hears the words, but then he searches the hearts to see what's really burdensome to us. And then he takes, he says, the burdens of our hearts to God the Father. And he communicates it to God the Father as God would speak to God. We don't know that language. With groanings too deep for our words. So when you realize every prayer you say gets translated, see, it doesn't really matter what the words are at all, not that much. Because the very words you say get translated into the groanings that God the Father is, appreciates most from the Spirit. And the Spirit is searching your hearts to translate it that way, to a God language. God speaks to God. So when you say, well, I just can't pray good. I just can't say the right words. doesn't matter. Can you pour out your heart? Can you tell 
God, what is the burden? What really matters to you in your words? If you can do that, you can pray. And as you do that, trust the Spirit to translate it to the most beautiful, glorious prayer you ever could imagine. A prayer that God would say to God with all dignity and royalty and perfection. That's how our prayers get translated. David starts his prayer pouring out his heart to God in Psalm 6, asking God for things. Notice two things he specifically requests. He first requests God's grace and mercy. Verse 1 says, Don't rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, for I'm pining away. So he's asking God, God, I need grace. I need mercy. Don't give it to me in your anger. Don't give it to me in your wrath. Certainly wouldn't want that. Have you ever heard a parent say, um, if you don't quit fussing, I'm going to give you something to fuss about. Or if you bother me one more time, you're going to wish you didn't. You know. Discipline is important. We all need to be disciplined. None of us need to be disciplined in anger. None of us want a parent coming to us because they are bothered, because they are mad at us. We want them coming to us because they love us, and they correct us, and they discipline us, and they train us and instruct us because of their love for us. And David's crying out for the same thing from God the Father. God, don't come to me because you're mad. Perhaps I've done some things to make you really mad, but I don't need that. I don't need it now. I don't need it ever. Come to me with grace. Come to me with mercy because I hurt. And I'm not sure I can take wrath right now. I'm messed up. And I'm not sure I can take anger right now. So he's praying for grace and mercy. And that's how we should pray. Thank God that he sent Christ to come and hang on the cross and take his wrath for us. Which is why we pray through Christ. God, come to me through Christ. See me through my mediator. Lay your wrath on Christ and give me grace. I never ask for what I, what I deserve when I pray. Don't ever do that. Because I deserve wrath. I deserve hell. Ask for grace. Ask that Christ matters. His death on the cross. And ask for grace. That's what David is asking for. Give me your grace. That's what we need. In a situation where we're hurt, the thing we need most is grace. And then after that, he, great, he, he seeks God's nearness. Let me read it again, verses 2 through 4a. Oh, Lord, I'm pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? How long what? How long will you be away from me? Verse 4, return, O Lord. Rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. You see, he feels an absence of God. God, how long will you stay away? I can't take that anymore. Return. 
What he's crying out for is the return of the nearness of God, that God would be near him, that God would be close to him, that God would be by his side or God would be holding him up. But he knows he doesn't feel that right now. He's praying for God to come back, to turn to him, to be close to him. This is not the request of an unbeliever. Unbelievers don't ask God to be close. It's believers who are asking God to be close. God, I love being near you, and I need you to be near me. Return to me. How long will I feel like I'm, I'm an outsider looking in? I want to be in the inner circle. I want to be near you, God. I want you near me. That's what David is praying for. Um, he prays for it. He expects God to come to him. You know, uh, think about some of the things we pray for. You know, we pray sometimes long times. We, we pray for a home to sell. We pray for a new job. We pray for a, for a spouse. We pray for, for children. We pray for healing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those prayers, but are they our priority? David's not praying for that. He's got all those situations in his life just like we do. But he's saying, God, in my trouble, what I need most besides grace, is for you to be here. I need you. Because if God is beside us, if God is with us, if God is holding us, all these other things come, you see. We need God to be near us. If God is our companion, what is it that God can't do? Sometimes we get so focused, God, I need a job. God, I need to have this in my life, or that in my life, or this in my life. And God says, no, you don't. You just need me in your life. If I were with you, everything would be solved. David gets it. David is praying for the nearness of God. Are we praying that? Are we praying for God to get closer and closer and closer? God, I just want to walk with you and talk with you and be with you. I just need you. David says, return, O Lord. When everything is messed up, it's because I feel like I have moved away from God. And I need God to come and find me and grab me and get near to me again. I need to be near to him. Nearness is more important than the answers of any other requests. The nearness of God. When we have nearness and when we have mercy or grace, we have comfort. When God's near, and God is not near in wrath, but God is near in grace, then there's comfort. We know, we're confident then, that everything else is going to be okay. Well, David not only prays for these things, God's nearness and God's mercy, but he then gives rationale. He has thought about his prayers. He's thought about why he should say what he says, and he gives reasons. I want to show you three of them here. First of all, he says, I, I pray because of who God is. Verse 4, save me because of your loving kindness. He's a loving God. He's a kind God. He's a compassionate God. I pray because God is loving. He's not going to hurt me. He's a God who loves being near me, and he will come and love me. He's appealing to God's character, God's character of Loving kindness is his 
uh, character of faithfulness, faithful to, to be there. You remember perhaps um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that he has not given us a temptation um, that's uncommon to man, but it's common. And with the temptation, he is what? Faithful to always provide a way of escape. It's his faithfulness. Or you remember 1 John 1, 9, that says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and righteous to cleanse you and forgive you. He, those are verses that appeal to God's character. And David's appealing to God's character. I come to you, God, because of who you are. You're a God who is faithful to respond to the needs of your children. Um, have you ever seen uh, a group of ladies? Um, this is just, it's just always um, impresses me, I guess. Uh, you, you, I've seen it over here. You can have five ladies in a room. They're talking, praying, Bible study, laughing, doesn't matter. And in the next room, all five ladies have children. Some of them have multiple children in the next room. All right? In the next room, one child cries out. And everybody's just going around. And one mother gets up. That's mine. How does she know that? How does... How does the right mother get up and go next door and take care of the crying baby? I mean, crying babies are crying babies, right? I mean, some of them, when you've got a room full of them, how do you know which one's which? But mothers do. It's their character. They know the cry of their child. They not only know the sound of the child's crying, but they know what kind of crying is. Ah, oh, that's, that's nothing. Don't worry about that one. You know, kind of cry. And then there's a, the emergency cry, and they know that's mine, and I got to go quick. David's appealing to that. God, you know me. You love me. You have been faithful to me. I am praying to you because of who you are. You're my God. And you love me. Don't forget that in our prayers. That God delights in the prayers of his people. He delights in hearing us come to him. And he knows our cries. He has, why did he send Christ into the world? To save his people from their sins? Yes. But I just love the passages in the Old Testament where God says, I heard their cries. I was aware of their pain. I saw their affliction. And so I sent my only begotten son into the world to love them and care for them. Pray because God's character has demonstrated his delight in coming to you and taking care of your needs. He is a God of great loving kindness. Second, not only pray because of who God is, let us pray because... Uh, of what God deserves. Verse 5 is a, a verse. Sometimes you, you read over it kind of quickly and you miss what's going on here. Verse 5 says, There is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? Why does David say that? Because he's firmly aware of the chief end of man. Why are we here? Why do we exist? We exist to give God praise. We, get, we exist to give God Glory. We were created for that purpose. Let me give you a few passages. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 7. 
Isaiah 43, just a quick phrase here. Verse 7. It says, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for what? My glory. Everyone whom I've created, why did I create them? He tells us the answer here very simply. I have created you for my glory. Another passage, Revelation chapter 4. I believe it's verse 11. By the way, Revelation is such a good book. You might want to check out my discipleship class on this book. Uh, happens in just a little bit. If you've got assurance, you know, come on. Revelation 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. You created all things. Why did you create all things? Because you're worthy. And what are you worthy of? You're worthy of honor and power and glory. You created all things for your honor, to demonstrate your power, your glory. David gets that. David understands that he was created for the purpose of glorifying God. Didn't say he was created for the purpose of getting a job, purpose of getting a wife, purpose of having kids. See, these are sub subcategories. Primary category, he was created to give God's glory. And now he stops and thinks about this a minute. He says, I am hurting so much. I am suffering so much. It's about to kill me. And I'm going, maybe he's looking out the window and there's a graveyard. He's looking at the graveyard or he's walking through the graveyard. You ever been so depressed you go to a graveyard and walk through it? I've been there. And you start praying. And as David's walking through the graveyard, he stops to think, I don't hear any singing. None of these departed are singing Amazing Grace. There's no singing in the grave. That's his argument. Pray because of what God deserves. God, if you kill me now, I won't be singing tomorrow. I'm in the grave. He's just pointing out that departed saints don't sing in the grave. I would rather stay on earth, is his argument, right now so I can praise you. So I can adore you. So I can sing for you. So I can glorify you. He understood his reason for existence. Sometimes in these desperate times we say, God, don't kill me now. God, I still have work to do. I, I've got this assignment at work. I need to finish that. Or I have a wife. I have kids. I, I need that, Lord, to keep me alive. Well, these things are important, Yes but not nearly as important as giving God glory. So David jumps to the primary. God, if you're going to keep me alive, keep me alive for the primary purpose of honoring you, praising you, giving you glory. Because that's one thing that happens at our demise is our voices on earth, for the most part, are silenced. People don't see us praising God anymore. Somebody can take up our work and our job and take care of others around us. But nobody can speak for us. David's arguing, Lord, I exist for your praise and your glory. That would not be here if I'm in the grave, in Sheol. Um, I want to give you thanks. So answer me because I am one that if you answer me, I will give you praise. I will show up. I will sing the songs. 
I will pray the prayers. I will glorify and honor your name. Good reason. God says, hmm, I like that. I like that you know who I am as you pray. I like that you know what I want. I want you. I want your praise. I want your prayers. Um, Then number three, he gives a third reason. Pray because of who God loves. Who does God love? I mean, when you look at verses six and seven, as I looked at this, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the prayer of a very strong uh, warrior who's slain thousands, not to mention bears and lions. What, so, so why such a vivid description of grief? Verse 6 and 7, see it again. I'm weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. Have you ever cried so much? Your pillow, your bed is, is literally soaked. That's pretty vivid. Uh, description, I dissolve my couch with my tears. It's very clear what he's talking about. Uh, my eyes wasted away. I mean, I can't barely see anymore because I'm crying so much. Why does he give such a vivid description of his hurt, his pain? Well, I think he's doing so because he knows it matters. He knows he has a God who can sympathize with his weaknesses and his hurts. You remember that verse, Hebrews 4? Let me read it very quick. Hebrews 4. I believe it's verse 12. Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may find grace and help in our time of need. David understood that. He understood that he had a God who sympathized with his weaknesses. You ever seen a child lift up their hand to mommy and daddy? Mom, dad, it hurts. You know, I don't know what they did to their fingers. But they've mashed them or they've burned them and they lift up the hand. It hurts, hurts, kiss, kiss, kiss or something to that effect. If you'll just kiss it. Now, will kissing a hurt hand fix it? Will it take the pain away? No. Pain's still there. But you feel so much better. Why? Because somebody has taken the time, especially somebody you already know loves to give you time, and they have sympathized. Oh, I'm sorry it hurts. Oh, I'm sorry it's painful. They feel our pain. That's why the vivid description in Psalm 6. David says, God I share my pain with you because I know to you it matters. What a God we have. Wow. 
a God who loves us, a God who desires us to give to him what he deserves, but also a God who can sympathize with our weaknesses. David is telling us those are good reasons to pray because of who God is, because of what God deserves, because of who he loves. He loves his children. He loves to sympathize. He loves to give us his grace. Then he finishes up the psalm, just something I don't like to do. But this psalm does it again. It's like blows my uh, formulas and routines on prayer. It also blows my routines on grace. What he does in verses 8 through 10 is he presumes upon grace. And I typically don't think you should ever presume upon grace. But perhaps David gets his identity in Christ better than I do. And he really presumes that after praying the prayer he has prayed, that God will undoubtedly give him relief. God is going to give him grace. Let me read it again. It says, depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord, notice this three times, the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord has heard and receives my prayer. Like three times. I prayed, the rest of you who are trying to trouble me and bother me, you might as well just leave because I'm about to get grace. God has heard my prayer. It's all right. Everything's good. How are you doing? I'm good now. Good. He's good. Why? Because of grace that's coming to him, God has heard his prayer doesn't seem to be bothered as much anymore because three times God has heard his prayer. Does he still have enemies? Yeah, he's telling them they need to leave. So the enemies aren't gone. The problem's not completely fixed. Everything's not just hunky-dory. But he's so much different because of presumed grace. Grace is coming. I remember my kids, little when they, when they were little growing up, you asked them to go out to eat. They always answered with a place that had two things, French fries and playground, right? You know, McDonald's messed up when they moved down here beside Chick-fil-A because all they have is French fries over there. If, if you park right beside a place that has French fries and playground, stupid, you know, people are going to go to the French fries in the playground. Any parent knows that. So one day I asked, uh, where do y'all want to go to eat? You know, I'm expecting the same old places, French fries and playground. And that suits mom and dad because they can play on the playground. You can have an adult conversation. You know, it works. But one day they said, it just blew me away. They said, we want to go to a cafeteria. I said, what? I didn't even know they knew that word. But it has neither French fries or playground. It's like, Why? Why would you want to do this? And as I investigated a little bit further, somebody had told them the cafeteria had an M&M machine. <laughs> and they wanted M&Ms. And I said, oh, so you want M&Ms after you eat at the cafeteria. I don't think they've even seen a cafeteria. I said, okay, you promise me you'll do what I say. You'll act like I want you to act. You'll eat what we put on your plate. And then afterwards, 
you'll get M&Ms. They said, good, good. They were ecstatic. They were excited, ready to go. Did everything we said. Why? Did they already have M&Ms? No. No M&Ms were in their hands. But they had confidence. They had assurance. I understood their request. I had heard their request. I had listened and promised the M&Ms. So even though you don't have them in your hands, it changes everything. You presume grace. The M&Ms are coming. And that's where David is. God's heard my prayer. God's going to bless me. I don't have to have it immediately. I don't really even need to know when I'm going to get it. But I know I'm going to get it because of who he is. Because of who he loves. Because it's his character to do so. Do you pray like that? When you don't have the life you wanted... Do you see here just this need to pour yourself out to God and just sit back and watch God work? Watch Him begin to give you grace upon grace. And then you begin to love the life you live because it's a life where God is gracious, where God is near, God sympathizes. God cares. That's the conclusion. Yeah, and as, as I s- stop to think about David, it's, it's like, is there anybody in the Bible that's any different? You think of the, the biblical characters that, 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 we, that we think of that are just great. Think of Joseph. Did he get the life he wanted? I don't think he ever wanted to be stripped of his clothes and sold as a slave and lived his youth in prison. It's probably not the life he wanted, but he poured himself out to God, and he began to love the life God gave. Or you think about Esther and how God used her. Did she get the life she she was grown up to, to, to pursue? No, not at all. Her life got squeezed in different directions, and she was forced into things she never would have chosen. Or the Apostle Paul. He was trained to be a non-Christian theologian. Did he ever dream, oh, I'd rather be stoned and beaten and shipwrecked and living for my life? I don't think so. And yet God greatly changed his life. Any Bible character, what we dream of as youth is not typically what we become. Some may. But if you're right now living a life, you say, it's not really what I wanted. Pour yourself out to God. Seek His grace. Seek His mercy. He still loves you right where you are. In the midst of very deep hurt where your bed is literally drenched in your tears. You can find God right there. God even says, Christ was on earth, Matthew 11, says, are you weary? Are you hurting? Are you distressed? Come to me. Come. I will rest you. He promises grace. And I think there are times 
through prayer, through Christ, you can presume upon grace. Let's pray together. Father, I know so many of the stories of people in this room are stories of deep grief and pain. There are times where we feel like we're slipping into the grave. Rescue us. Lift us back up to love the life you've given and to give you praise, to give you adoration. Hear us, Lord, when we confess our sins. Forgive us of our sins. Let them depart from us. Let us be thankful for the grace that's ours in Christ. Let us ever be praising you. Let us be more devoted to pouring our hearts out to you. Meet us, Lord, right where we are. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Now and forever. Amen.